Now we're going to continue our study, Why a Baptist. Tonight we're actually going to wrap it up and complete uh, our study, Why a Baptist. I want to tell you, I believe it is important. I believe it has been important, especially in a day when people say it's all the same. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter what you take in as truth. It's all the same. Well, I believe uh, that is not true. I believe it absolutely does matter. And so, again, I've enjoyed our study, Why a Baptist. Now we're going to wrap it up and we're going to conclude by talking about the Baptist distinctive, uh, the separation of church and state. Uh, the separation of church and state. Now let me say up front, this distinctive is often, and I'll just tell you many times, maybe most times, uh, misunderstood. It's misunderstood, uh, and so therefore I believe many times it is misapplied. And so when you hear somebody talking about it, a lot of times uh, there's a misunderstanding going on, and then when you see it, uh, put into practice, therefore, uh, there is a misapplication. Uh, this distinctive is dear to Baptists uh, probably more than any other uh, Christian denomination. You're going to see that tonight. Uh, some say no other Christian group has been as persecuted as have Baptists when there has not been a clear separation of church and state. I believe history shows us that, uh, reveals that to us. Again, Baptists hold to and they support a separation of church and state. Now, as we come to this topic tonight, I want to be sure and, and settle this uh, right off the bat. And I think there's sometimes an overlap, and maybe this is some, some of the, the place that the misunderstanding comes from. And so I want to go ahead and settle this right off the bat. Listen very carefully. There is no United States law. There is no constitutional amendment requiring or calling for a separation of church and state. Now listen to me very carefully. There's no law, uh, there's no constitutional law, uh, there's no constitutional amendment calling for a separation of church or state. Now I hear people say that, maybe you have as well. Many people will cite that uh, in this discussion. They'll say, well, what about... Uh, the separation of church and state. And so we'll say, well, uh, kids today, they cannot pray in school. And the reason is because there is a separation of church and state. Or folks will come along and say, we cannot teach the biblical account of creation. We can teach evolution. In fact, we must teach evolution, but we cannot teach the biblical account of creation because of the separation of church and state. Or some folks will come along and say, we can't put the Ten Commandments down at the courthouse or inside our public buildings or somewhere on a wall in our school. And the reason we can't do that is because of the separation of church and state. Or we can't talk about Christ. We'd love to talk about him in our classes. We're not able to do that. We can't talk about him with our sports teams on the bus. And the reason we can't do that is because of the separation of church in state. We can't make laws based on biblical morality. We can't say the Bible says this, and so therefore this is the law we desire. We can't make laws based upon Christian morality because of the separation of church and state. Well, I want you to be sure, and I want us to understand there is no constitutional law, there is no amendment calling for a separation of church and state. Do not let somebody use that on you. Well, I'd like to talk about Christ in my classroom, but I can't. 
Do not let somebody use it on you. Well, our kids can't pray at school because of a separation of church and state. Do not let somebody use that on you. The First Amendment prevents the government from making laws that regulate an establishment of religion or prohibits the free exercise of religion. That is the First Amendment. That is the law of the land. It prevents the government from making laws that regulate an establishment of religion or prohibit the free exercise of religion. Very simply, it guarantees what we call the freedom of religion. We have the freedom to practice religion, any religion in our country. We have the freedom to not practice religion, any religion in our country. There is no law calling for the separation of church and state. That, that terminology, that phrase came from a letter that uh, Thomas Jefferson wrote. He said there ought to be a wall of separation between the church and state, uh, but it is not a law. It is not part uh, of our constitutional law. So understand, that is not a law in our country. Now, that's not something we have to cite and adhere to. It does not exist. Yet, watch this, Baptists call for the separation of church and state. Now, let me tell you what that means. The Baptists call for uh, the separation of church and state. Now, uh, let's define our terms. This can be defined as uh, a distance between religious groups, uh, primarily churches, and the state, referring to the government. And so we believe there should be a distance between the church and the government, between religious groups, primarily the church, and the state, the governments. Now, the result of that in practice, if you put that into effect, is this. The result is a secular state, a secular government, as opposed to a religious state or a religious government. In history, throughout history, in fact, you go and start turning the pages of history, most governments, and I'll just tell you this, almost all governments have been tied to a certain religion or a certain religious practice. And you go back through, through world history, and most governments have been tied to or are tied to a religion or religious practice. Uh, meaning the practice of the religion of the day was or is enforced by the means of the government. And so you're going to do these things. You're going to hold these truths. This is how you're going to worship. And that's going to be enforced by the means of the government. It may be through taxation. It may be through force. But this will be your religious practice. And this exclusively, and that is going to be enforced through the means of the government. Today, many, many nations uh, still have the same system, uh, especially in Muslim countries today. Uh, their system is run by their religious belief, and it's tied together. So many, many nations still practice this today. Think about this. Remember the Roman Empire. Here we are in the New Testament. Uh, in, in the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire was opposed to Christianity. Remember that? Uh, they killed Christians. Uh, they took them, they took them to the Colosseum, they burned them, they used them as light, as light posts, they fought them against the gladiators and the lions. They opposed Christianity. They killed Christians. They were intent on stopping Christianity until about 380 AD. And then they turned 
And they accepted Christianity. They actually embraced Christianity and they promoted Christianity. However, it was just one expression, one form of Christianity, Nicene Christianity. All other forms of Christianity, they were still uh, taxed. Their property was still taken. They were persecuted, some even to the point of death. And so they're opposed to Christianity. All of a sudden they embrace Christianity, but it's just one type of Christianity that they allow. Uh, England was a Roman Catholic country until the Reformation. At the Reformation, it turns over. It becomes uh, the Anglican church that's tied uh, to the nation. It's called the Church of England. Spain the same way. Spain was a Catholic uh, country. All of these countries, their governments were tied to their religious practice, and their religious practice was carried out and enforced through their governments. Now, here's what happens in those situations. Now, we believe this to be the truth. We'll be crazy not to have our practice tied to the truth. And so we will tie our government to the truth that we hold and we will enforce that. Here's what happens. Religion becomes a political tool. And there are folks that learn to prosper off that, to profit off of that. There are power brokers that rise up out of that. And religion becomes a political tool and in all cases, it becomes abusive. Now, why is the reason for that? I think I go back. Some of these are, are well-intended. Why does this happen? It happens because of people. Uh, people administrate this. People interpret this. Uh, people apply this, and the problem is with people. In history, many, many people, many countless people have been jailed. They've been persecuted. They've been killed because of the state, the government, religion of their day. All the way, thousand years, many people jailed, persecuted, killed because of the state religion of their day. Baptists, I believe, caught the crux of it all. Uh, they, Baptists, were persecuted, they were jailed, they were burned, they were killed, they were expelled from countries, chased to one country, they allowed to have, have refuge there for a while, then they would go somewhere else. They were opposed, Baptists were opposed by every single form of state religion. I guess it's never been cool to be a Baptist. Every state-run religion would be opposed to Baptists. They were persecuted by the Catholic Church and their governments. They were persecuted, killed by the Lutheran Church and their governments, the Calvinist Church. All of these persecuted Baptists. In England, things are changing. In England, in the late 1500s, the early 1600s, uh, they, they are led by the Church of England. It is the religion of the day. Uh, separatists and Puritans spring up, and they were fighting against the state Church of England, the Anglican Church. Uh, they have come to certain conclusions uh, that, that is in conflict with the belief set of the Church of England, the Anglican Church, and so they are fighting against the church. Uh, they were banished for their belief set. They were jailed oftentimes. They were beaten. Uh, their preachers were beaten, put in jail. Many of those preachers for years, 10 years, would preach out of the window of their jail, um, all because the government was opposed to their understanding 
or their practice of religion. Now, you know the story. So here's what they did. These Puritans, they came to America. They decided, you know what? There's religious persecution over here. There's not religious freedom here. We'll escape that and we'll go to the new land. The Puritans came to escape a religious persecution to Virginia, the first colony, to New Hampshire, founded by Puritans, second colony, to Massachusetts, 1630. Now, here's what's interesting. Here's what's ironic. These colonies land here, and they formed a theocracy. And they said, we're going we're gonna to have a different form of government. We've had a king. We've had someone impose their rule on us. And so we're going to form a theocracy. That is a government that is led by God. And so they thought, you know what would be, be awesome? A, a government led by God. And, and so they came, and their, their model was the Old Testament nation of Israel. We'll be like Israel. We'll have our God. We'll be his people like Israel. They thought they could replicate uh, the Old Testament model of Israel. They would follow the laws of God, and that would be their state government. It would be tied to the laws of God. Well, right from the very start, and I mean right from the start, the Massachusetts Bay Colony has a state religion. That is their theocracy. We're following the laws of God. Here's the problem, interpreted by them, applied by them. And so right off the start, they beat Baptist preachers for disagreeing with their Puritan practice. Now, they would beat them, they would jail them, they would, they would threaten them, all sorts of things. But their greatest form of punishment was to be expelled from the colony. And so here's this guy, and he says, you know what, I hold to these distinctives, and I am a Baptist, and I'm going to have a Baptist message. And so they would say, we're going to expel you from the colony. Well, to expel them from the colony uh, was, was really the expectation of a death sentence. We're going to put you out of the colony. You're not going to have an army. You're not going to have weapons. You're not going to have protection. You're not going to have food. You're not going to have supplies. And, and you're going to freeze to death. You're going to starve to death. And so they would expel them from the colony as their form of punishment. So watch this. Escaping a cruel state religion in England, the Puritans came to America and established a cruel state religion. Isn't that ironic? Within six years, they had replicated the thing that they left. You know what? We didn't, we didn't like the persecution there. We didn't like that we had to tow their line. And so they came and they did the exact same thing here. And Baptist caught the brunt of it. Baptists, once again, were on the outs. Roger Williams, maybe you've heard of him. I think it's more than a paint company. He was expelled from the Massachusetts Bay Colony for disagreeing with four tenants of Puritan practice. He was put out. They thought, well, we'll run him out in the wilderness. He'll die out there. He travels 100 miles. He forms Rhode Island in 1636, and Rhode Island becomes a home for religious dissidents. You disagree, they're going to kill you. You come here, we're going to make our own colony. And so understand this. Go through history for hundreds of hundreds of hundreds of hundreds of years. Baptists have experience and they have seen the danger of a state religion. You go all the way through all of these countries, all of these nations. Baptists have experienced and seen the danger of a state religion. And so they have called for 
the separation of church and state. I think this is a very interesting story. As the colonies are forming, uh, the colony of Georgia, uh, the Baptists there had grown to be very popular. Uh, they, they, they were popular there in that colony, and it was offered to them to be the state religion of Georgia. And this is what they said. Georgia will have a Baptist government, and Baptist understanding will be the law of the land, and this will be a Baptist colony, a Baptist state eventually. Here's what the Baptists did. They fought on three occasions not to take it. We don't want it. We see the danger of that. This is what people do. They mess it up, and they reject it, even themselves being the state religion of Georgia. So today, all of that, Baptists have as a distinctive uh, the ideal of the separation of church and state. Baptists have seen the, the danger of not having it. They've experienced the persecution when it didn't exist. And so Baptists, of all people, hold to the distinctive of the separation of church and state. Now, that's kind of hard to, to explain. So what does that mean? What does that look like? What do we expect as Baptists? Now, I found this in the Baptist Faith and Message. That is our confessional statement. Remember, it's not our creed from last week. That's our confessional statement. Here's what it says. God alone is Lord of the conscience, and he has left it free from the doctrines and commandments of men which are contrary to his word or are not contained in it. Church and state should be separate. The state owes to every church. Here's what the state does. The state owes to every church protection and full freedom in the pursuit of its spiritual ends. The state protects the church. In providing for such freedom, no ecclesiastical group or denominations should be given favored status by the state more than any other. So there's no denomination that ought to have more power according to the government than any other. Later it says, the church should not resort to the civil power to carry out its own work. Later it says the state has no right to tax the church for its religious practice. And so Baptists believe we do not have a state endorsed or a state enforced religion. That is the belief of a Baptist. Now I want to go a little bit further right here. And so, especially in our day, there are some who say well, the church, therefore, can't seek to have influence on the state. And so there's some that have taken this Baptist belief, and they say, well, okay, you want the separation of the church and state? Well, then we want to stick to that, and therefore you should not seek as the church to have any influence on the state. Uh, you want to be separate, and so let's put up a wall, and let's stay separate. You have your religious practice, your religious beliefs out here, We'll have the government over here. And you should seek no influence on the state. So let's discuss that for a second. So what is our relationship to the state? If that's what we believe, if we've seen the harm when it's not enforced, if we see what's possible when it is, what is, what is the Baptist relationship to the state? Well, I put this list together. It's from God's word and it's from Christ's ethic. Here's what we do as a Baptist who understands the, the need for not a state religion, but wants to bear influence 
on our culture and on our state. Here's what we do. We pay taxes. Now, the Bible says we give unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. We pay taxes. We obey the laws as long as they're not in conflict with God's law. Now, the Bible says that's part of our Christian witness. We're not outlaws. Now, we obey the laws as long as they're not in conflict with God's laws. On top of that, we should seek to establish and uphold Christ-honoring laws. We live in the culture. Uh, we exist here. We should see, seek to establish and uphold Christ-honoring laws. Part of that, we should vote seeking to elect Christ-honoring representatives. That's become hard lately, hasn't it? We vote seeking to elect Christ-honoring representatives. And then here's the last one. Well, actually, there's three more. Here's the last one on this page. We should, listen to this, eagerly witness seeking to take Christ into the public square. Now, we'll, we'll sit around and say, well, we can't do what we used to do. Well, they've made laws over here at the school. They won't allow these things at the university. Listen very carefully. We should eagerly witness seeking to take Christ into the public square. We should witness in our schools, at our universities, in the marketplace, all the places that we go as believers. Here's the truth. If we want to change a nation the way we do that, it's not by laws, not by people we elected. We've tried that several times. The way we change the nation, the way we influence the culture is to lead many people to faith in Christ. When will our town, when will our state, when will our nation see a, a change when we have led many people to faith in Jesus Christ? We shouldn't complain about the one unless we are eagerly witnessing seeking to take Christ into the public square. Next one, we pray for our leaders. Those that we agree with, we pray for. Those that we disagree with, we pray for them as well. The Bible says they're like water channeled through God's hand. And here's, here's the last one, and here's the biggest one. And in all of those things, we calmly, joyfully trust God. We trust God. Our answer is in God. Our hope is in God. Our peace and our Savior is in Jesus Christ. Our hope is not in a government takeover. It's not in a return to, to 1950 or some other time. Our trust is in God. Our hope is in God. Our answer is in Christ. And so we joyfully, patiently trust God. We believe in the separation of church and state. All right, with all of that covered, we're going to end right there tonight. This entire series, I want to say this, I believe is important. I believe it's needed and necessary. I think if we're going to say this is what we believe, we need to know what we believe. This series is archived on the internet. Uh, you can go there. You can watch every one of these uh, messages. You can share those with your friends. You can watch them again. But I want to say this. At the end of it all, the end of these weeks, I am a Baptist. I am a Baptist gladly. I agree with Baptist belief. And I'll just tell you, as a church, we should be glad to identify ourselves as a Baptist. We shouldn't be, well, you know what, we're going to lose people if we keep that on our sign. Well, we might get more people if we take it off of our sign. We should be glad to let the world know, here's what we believe about Jesus. 
Here's what we believe about salvation. Here's what we believe about the word of God. Here's what we believe about the church. We should be glad to identify ourselves as Baptists. But then, off of that foundation, off of that springboard, we should, listen to me, of all people, of all people, holding our Bibles, preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. You know why all that matters? It's because it's how we operate. According to the dictates of Jesus himself, carrying out his mission until he comes again. Listen, we ought not be Baptists in name only. We ought to be Baptists in mission. That's what we do. Lead a lost world to our Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask if you'll stand, please. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful for your word that leads us. We're thankful for what you tell us in the New Testament. Uh, Lord, I'm thankful for this church, an autonomous church that stands on its own, that has the word of God. Thank you for that. Uh, it has the Holy Spirit of God to lead us and direct us. And I pray, Lord, that we seek to follow what you have said. And I pray that it shapes our homes, that it shapes our lives, that it shapes our language, that it shapes our business, that it shapes our perspective and our mission. And I pray, Lord, that whatever title we carry, that we would carry the title of, of Christian, of little Christ, well, that we would hold up the gospel, the light into a dark world, and that we would preach it plainly and clearly, frequently, until you come again. Lord, empower that. Lord, we come, and I, I'm thankful for this Lord's Day again. I'm thankful for the opportunities of it Again, thankful for these here tonight. Bless them, encourage them. For those listening in some other means, and, and Lord, bless them as well. Encourage them as well. And Lord, I pray that the fruit of this church will be glory to your name. You are worthy. You are worthy. We lay it out before you. We trust it to you. And I pray in Christ's name, in Jesus' name.